Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast, brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 168, recorded for Monday, August 30th, 2010. And here are your hosts, the man who wanted to do this episode last year, Dave Pillay. Hi. And the man who was able to make it happen again this year, Andy Lowe. Hi. Now, Andy, I noticed you didn't say recorded live. No, because this is not a live episode. For those of you who have been around for basically exactly one year, we did an episode where we recorded interviews with the PAX 10 nominees. And so, why not do it again? We have the emails, we have the people, they were willing and able to. And also, just like last year, um, we were only able to get eight of them. But what can you do? Yep. So, without further ado... The PAX 10. Here we are with the first game in alphabetical order, Altitude, by Nimbly Games, and we have Eric and Carl here. Hello! Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. Alright, to first to start off, what is Altitude? Altitude is an online multiplayer game. You fly a little cartoon airplane, you load out a set of perks along the lines of Call of Duty, and then you take to the skies and shoot down other people in little cartoon planes. The core gameplay is sort of what you expect from a multiplayer deathmatch game. So you've got free-for-all modes, you've got base destruction modes. So a lot of different things with your flying cartoon planes. So where did you get the idea? Because it's, it's basically team deathmatch, but in planes. In the sky. Yeah, it's kind of weird. The original idea actually came from a friend of mine, Sean Prison, really loved this Intellivision game called Biplanes. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's kind of similar to the core gameplay of Altitude, and I had never played it. He told me, hey, this is some game I loved as a kid. Someone needs to do this with internet multiplayer. And so I sort of listened to his description of the core game, and I fiddled with it for about a week, and it was really fun. So we took it from there. So how long did it take you guys to put this together? Well, there was an original prototype years ago that we worked on for maybe a year, and then eventually we decided to do this thing as a real game, and I guess we've been working two and a half years now? Three years. Three years, I guess. Time flies. (laughs) I noticed on the install a couple jar files. Is this written in Java entirely, or just... Yeah, pretty much everything is Java. We use a really cool lightweight library called LW JGL. They provide access to OpenGL and OpenAL so you can get the hardware acceleration, but otherwise the back end is completely Java code. Most of the client is Java code. And yeah, it's great language to work in. Cool. So what do you guys think about being in the PAX 10? It's a huge honor for us. I mean, we love anything that gets our name out there and to be selected by the Penny Arcade guys who are awesome. I mean, we we read their website. Obviously, everyone knows that these guys are legit gamers. They really care about the scene. They created this thing to help promote us help promote indies and so for us it's awesome to be nominated by them to be recognized by them yeah it's great so i'm guessing since there is only two of you there i'm guessing that's the the whole team that's worked on yeah you got 100 percent nibbly games (laughs) at your beck and call right now we have worked with a couple really talented contract artists we're both sort of programmers and that's pretty much it how good are you at your own game i'm actually pretty good carl you know yeah Carl kind of sucks but uh he can hold his own there's actually a ladder altitude ladder.net and i've got a couple smurf accounts rated pretty highly up there (laughs) i love that you'd be trolling your own game (laughs) yeah you know you gotta do what you gotta are you kidding bungie does it (laughs) okay so there's there's regular just team death matches regular multiplayer death match there's the the soccer so we've got seven game modes and the familiar ones are free for all which is really everyone against everyone team death match and then you've got team base destruction where one side is picking up a nuke and they're trying to get it to the other side's base. And so everyone can sort of see a bomb indicator when one team grabs the bomb. And so that's sort of a tactical game where you try to 
defend your bomb carrier. You peel off, take out, snipe their bomb carrier. That's a very high coordination game mode. Along those lines... It was meant to be kind of like the counter-strike mode. Right. And eventually we ended up adding a bomb defuse mode that's even more like the counter-strike mode, which didn't really take off. Really, my favorite mode is plane ball. And in plane ball, you've got this ball. One guy is carrying the ball or he shoots it out and everyone's scrambling for the ball. And each side's got a goal. It's kind of like Quidditch, really. And so it's this massive free-for-all in the sky where everyone's shooting at each other at the ball, trying to grab it, dunk the ball, shoot the ball from the corners, whatever. How did you set up the whole, because I've been playing the demo, I'm only up to level eight right now. How many, how did you set up the whole level system with everything? Well, the idea with the level system was to gate in some of the content. It turns out that some of the planes are a little more friendly to new players. And so, for example, the Loopy's got tracking missiles that help you with when you're just learning to aim. You've got a rubberized hull that reduces damage from wall collisions. And so the idea was to ease people into the content to say, hey, you can only play the Loopy right now. So learn learn how this plane works. See what you can do with it. And at the same time, to give people a little bit of a, a reward for playing the game so that they can see some progress. It's tough when you jump into an online multiplayer arena that a lot of our players now have logged in literally dozens of days of playtime. And these guys are pretty good. And so you want to see some progress. It's nice to see, oh, okay, I got a new plane. Uh, I can see what's going on. And then as you've mastered the loopy, you can start to look at using, say, the biplane who's got a straight shot that requires a little more precision in the shooting department. Meanwhile, there's plenty of depth uh, to explore with the loopy. His maneuverability is actually exceptional and his secondary weapon's kind of hard to use. So the idea is is to ease you into the experience, not to give you more power. So really at the highest level, people actually play almost all of the planes and the perks on the ladder, regardless of what level they're unlocked at. Hmm. Yeah. That's I, sort of the thinking behind the level system, though. So how many total planes do you have? There's tw- There are five core planes. There's the Loopy, uh, who's sort of this nimble guy with tracking missiles, EMP grenades or uh, acid grenades that, that increase damage. You've got the bomber who shoots grenades, has a, a tail gun, or he can drop bombs. There's the Explodette, which shoots rockets and can drop mines. That guy's sort of a slow, deliberate, they call him the flying cow. Uh, He's got a very different play style. Then there's the biplane, which is sort of the master of close-range dogfighting. He's got two frontal weapons. One of the perk sets gives him sort of a sniper cannon, but Generally speaking, you want to get in close and engage with both guns. Uh, And then finally, there's the Miranda, which is sort of a sci-fi alien kind of ship. It's got a lot of different ways to move. It has an instant uh, reverse. It can teleport forward, causing damage along its path. And it's got a charge-up gun. So that's a plane that requires really a lot of nuance and familiarity with the controls, even to just get a couple kills with. And it turns out to be a very good plane once you master it. But that's, again, that's the last plane you unlock. So the idea is to give you a sense of the game before you try to attack something like that. Now, is the, the full game's already out, though, right? Yeah, the full game's out. It's actually been out for a year now, and so we've got a lot of people online anytime you want to come check it out, uh, and we've got new player servers for, for people to learn the ropes. Okay, that's what I was wondering about, because I was looking like I was connecting to servers during the tutorial, and I was... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, local bit, server it's a bit that. confusing the way the single-player uh, launches in, but it's, it's primarily a multiplayer game. We have a few guys who like to just play against the bots, but as you go through the training modes, yeah, you're, you're connecting to your own personal server, so that's not really anything. You can go to uh, altitudegame.com, and that's where we've got the free three-hour demo. So we'd love it if everyone would check that out. Okay. All right. All right. right. Well, that was. thank you guys for being on. And uh, are you guys going to be at PAX? 
We will be at PAX. Are you guys there? I will be. Andy is not. Okay. Well, I look forward to meeting you. Swing by the Altitude booth. We'll be happy to show anyone around who wants to check out the game. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. Thanks a lot for having us. And up next on our interview with the PAX 10, we have Evan from Pixelante Game Studios here to talk about the PAX 10 game Foul Space. Before we start, I just have to, the description on the webpage, I find just completely hilarious. Because it just, it goes from interesting to just absurd very quickly. A heroic rooster sets forth on a ridiculous space adventure to destroy the sun. Unfortunately for him, a legion of lingerie-loving Vikings have turned it into their headquarters, and they're big fans of fried chicken. Evan, where did you come up with this idea? That idea was the result of being in the most boring class ever, and my friend who's a character artist asking me and my buddy Eddie what he should make a 3D model of. So we put our brilliant genius together and we came up with Astrocock, a rooster astronaut, and that was it. So basically (laughs) we're just... That's how it started? Yeah, that was the beginning. Astrocock? Astrocock. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that was originally the title of the game, but we thought that might be a little hard <laughs> to shop around. <laughs> so, are wow. you are you the only one working on this, or the uh, the other guys helping out? Yeah, it's a four person team. So it's me, Eddie, Drew, and then our friend, our other friend Matt, came on a little while in, and we kind of completely rebuilt the game after he came on. So, yeah, four people been working on it for a couple of years but we didn't really work on it for a couple of years we would just stop and not work for five months at a time come back but yeah i'm a particular fan by the way of the the pun of the title oh yeah that, just, i mean right was... there that alone sells it to me <laughs> i'm not sure i would have looked too hard at astrocock yeah might have passed on that one yeah but foul space that's pretty nice yeah, uh, so what's, what's the gameplay like it. there's no i haven't seen any video or demo so i, I can't say okay so the game is a 2d run-and-gun platformer. So it's along the lines of Metroid or Mega Man, games like that. And the whole thing is just wall-to-wall dick jokes and totally ridiculous scenarios the whole way through. It's totally nuts. Now, the lingerie-loving Vikings, are they wearing the lingerie? Is that what they love? Or are they just fans of people in lingerie? Uh, They're fans of collecting lingerie. So when you kill them, they tend to drop it. That's your. That's how you get points. That's wait. That's how you score points is by picking up the lingerie dropped by the Vikings. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> if you're expecting anything in this interview to make sense, no. No, no. It's it's fine. So I'm looking at the screenshots you got on your website here, and it's a very stylized look. What made you decide to go with this? Uh, the silhouette style. Yeah. Everything's black and silhouette on a very bright colored background a style I had used before, so it's very practical. It's very easy to make games with that style. Everything kind of blends together. Uh, everything's outlined, so you don't need incredible amounts of detail, uh, which is good because it's a flash game, and it's sort of hard to render incredibly detailed graphics, so you have to lean more towards the style side of things. Those are the main reasons we picked it for this game. Okay. Flash game. Huh. So you're just going to be putting it, it's going to be online, or is it going to be... Yeah, the original plan was just to be online now that we've got into the PAX 10, we're kind of retooling the game and we're going to try to get it on some digital distribution networks and sell it as a full-blown PC and Mac title. So are you looking at like Steam and Impulse or what? Yeah, Steam would be awesome. Penny Arcade has their own network called Greenhouse. Mm-hmm. So that would be a logical place to start if we can get there. I am just, <laughs> sorry, I'm just... Stunned. Yeah. yeah, I'm still kind of in awe at Astrocock. <laughs> 
I mean, that's intended. Very apparent that they put you on the list to get into the PAX 10. Well, it's Penny Arcade, so I think dick jokes work in our favor. Just a little bit, yeah. So you came up with the idea in a class. Were you at some sort of like SMG, a full sale sort of video game place, or were you at a? Uh, No, we were at a more general university. Uh, Simon Fraser University. We're in sort of a design animation video game program. Okay. It wasn't a dedicated gaming school or anything like that. So I'm guessing this is your first foray into, or did you do other games before this? Uh, I've done a bunch of games. Um, People search online for Pixelante or go to pixelante.ca. I've got eight games up there now from the last two years. Foul Space has kind of been in development the whole time. We keep remaking it because it takes so long. So I I started making it and then made a crap load of other games while I was making it and then remade it. And now hopefully it will finally come out soon. So this is your, you're kind of like your first baby, your firstborn that you want to, you want to coddle a bit. Nurture. No, it's more like the teenager I want to kick out of the house. (laughs) You've had it for so long. Yeah, I I babied it for too long. It's spoiled. It's a brat. Needs to get out. So how long do you think before you'll be done with it? Probably depends on whether or not we actually do get on digital distribution networks and if they require us to do anything to the game for that. I mean, the game is mostly done right now, so it would only take like a month or so to finish it off. Nice. So I'm guessing you're going to have something playable at PAX? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, Looking forward to getting a chance to play it. <laughs> you may regret that. <laughs> well, Evan, thank you very much for stopping by and showing us the world of Astro Cock. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. My um, lord, am I glad we have an explicit tag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm looking forward yeah, to seeing you all corrupted at PAX. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see this go on. This looks like a really fun game. But man, good luck getting past Steam and getting past like all these. Uh, your your best shot is probably the PA one. Green Home, was it? Greenhouse. 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 Yeah, I can never remember the name of that one. You know what? Actually, like, I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression. The game is not that dirty. Like, Astrocock is the worst part. Uh, we kept and it pretty a rooster. Yeah. yeah. So that's about as bad as it gets. <laughs> so it is fairly family friendly if you're not reading between the lines too much. So it's like the old cartoon shows where, like, at first glance, it's fine. And then you go back and you realize they're making all these sexual jokes. Oh, yeah. It's like Astrocock. You've come too quickly. <laughs> Lots and lots of stuff like that. Well, Evan, thank you very much. Dave, I'm guessing we'll have... Can't wait to get his hands on it. Yeah. So, Evan, are are all four of you going to get packs? Yeah, we're all going to be there. Are you guys coming out? Dave is. I I, am not. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Well, Well, say hi to me when you get there. Will do. I'll be sure to stop by and have a nice week. Yeah, you too. All right, and here we are with the fourth interview of the PAX 10. We are talking with Rick about, I'm going to screw it up, I swear, Hegemony Philip of Macedon. Hey, yeah, that was good. It was- okay, Rick, what is this game? Well, Hegemony is a real-time strategy war game about Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, who's kind of an underplayed character in history, but really set the stage for everything that Alexander was later able to do. So if you've played many strategy games, you'll know that most of them are sort of a series of individual battles separated by load screens. And it's been this way ever since the very first strategy game. You know, back in Dune 2, you had that map screen and you would choose which territory you want to invade. 
And then you fight your battle and go back to the map screen and, you know, lather, rinse, repeat. So what we really wanted to do was make a seamless strategy game. So when you're zoomed in, you've got this realistic view of all your units. And, you know, you can issue some complex orders, tell them to flank around the back or even uh, snap your brigades together to create larger formations. But when you want a more strategic view, all you have to do is just zoom out. And zooming out is as easy as it is in Google Maps. You just pull down on your scroll wheel and it zooms out. And then the realistic terrain sort of fades away and is replaced with this part map and all your brigades are replaced with these little tabletop miniatures. Um, so once you've started the game, there's no more load screens. It just keeps zooming out farther and farther until you've conquered all of ancient Greece. Well, that so it's not like intense. Yeah, it's you, not like a lot of other pause between missions, or is this just kind of one continuous mission? It's basically one giant mission, and we didn't want to make it too stressful because you will find yourself fighting battles on multiple fronts. So what we did is we made it so that when the game is paused, you can issue all of your commands in pause time, and then when you unpause the game, your troops will execute those orders. So you spend a lot of time going to one part of the map, telling your troops what to do in pause time, and then going to another part of the map, telling them what to do, and then unpause the game and let them go to it. All right, now this is what I'm curious about, because it's based off of a real-life historical figure. Yep. So how close are the battles to historical battles? Well, a lot of it depends. We've tried to give the player as much uh, freedom as they want while still allowing them to follow the history of Philip. So the game has over 100 historical objectives, and part of this is just so that if you're ever lost on what to do next, you can just open up this objective log and then it'll give you a bunch of quests that you can follow. And that'll also usually give you a lot of uh, historical information about what Philip did. Um, so basically, to win the game, you have to complete a subset of these quests. But most of the quests are completely optional. So if I decided to try and just go down in flames at the very beginning, I could? You could definitely do that. We also spent a lot of time making sure that if you screw up, it's not going to be too much work to you know get back into the game because your campaign is going to be so long, it would really suck if you, know, you got to a part where you had to restart the game. So that's not going to be too much of a worry of you really screwing everything up and having to give up. Now, somebody said these were satellite accurate maps of Greece in the game. <laughs> Yeah, when we were making the game, we actually started with NASA's satellite DEM data. So that's, it gives height maps of basically the entire world. So we just took their map, and so that basically gave us Greece as it is today. And then we had to make some modifications to represent Greece as it was back during Philip's time, because some water bodies and whatnot have changed over time. Now, I'm sorry to say, but as soon as I was reading about this game, I kept on thinking of, like, Rome, Total War sort of stuff. How is... How is this yep. game different? How is this game similar to those types of real-time strategy games? Yeah, that's actually the closest comparison you can make to us is uh, Total War. The biggest difference is obviously that seamless zooming that I was talking about. But another thing that we focused on, which we really haven't seen any other games do very well, is the historical importance of supply. So particularly during this time period, moving supply around was hard. And if you couldn't feed your troops in cities, then they'd fall more easily. So we've represented that by allowing you to create supply lines between all your cities and farms. And you'll see little ox carts moving back and forth between everything. And if the enemy were to block off one of your supply lines, then that would stop the flow of food into your city and it would start to starve. So it's a really good tactic to use when trying to, you know, soften up a tougher city. is to starve them out first and then go in for the kill after that. Now, just, just to 
Belichick, having taken a class in military history and military warfare, I can't just go in and be like, I can't go on Napoleon and start living off the land. I have to maintain these supply lines. Yeah, your, uh, your brigades will have a certain amount of food that they can carry on their own, far away from any cities or farms, and you just leave them parked out in the middle of nowhere, then they're eventually going to starve. And as soon as someone attacks them, then their morale is going to drop to nothing, and they're going to rout. Now, how is, because Greece, the, most of the major Greece stuff was, had to deal with naval battles as well. Do you have that built into the game? We do have naval battles. It's not something you start out with, because Macedonia was kind of late to the game with naval battles. But when I was talking about supply, there's also maritime supply. So starving out a city like Athens is going to be harder to do because they have such a strong navy. But later in the game, you'll be able to build your own triremes. And with those, you'll be able to interfere with their sea trade that way. And of course, Athens will come out with their own triremes to try to stop you. But, you know, they have to do that to make sure they don't die. All right. So how many people did you have working on this game and for how long? We currently have five developers. It started with three and I joined the team about a year into the project. The entire project took over five years to develop. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like that. This is this looks very well polished. Yeah, thanks. We're kind of proud in a way that uh, our game can be compared to, you know, the AAA games. It's, you know, it's not just your ordinary indie game, which, uh, you know, I like indie games, but to be honest, most of them look like they were only created by one person. Now, how many years does the whole campaign sort of span? Uh, well, Philip's campaign spanned 20 years. Um, so the game starts when Philip is declared regent and continues until Alexander takes over. And at that point, you've officially won the game, but we let you keep playing as Alexander because there's probably a lot of quests that you haven't completed yet. So do you get to continue as Alexander. Are there, is there anything after that? Have you added? post-game stuff? Are there new quests as Alexander? Or is that an expansion coming down the road? No, when you're playing as Alexander, you're still playing the same quests. We don't have any unique quests for Alexander. We're currently working on a expansion pack, and we're still working on the details for that. We're not quite sure how it's going to work. But it's actually probably going to be a prequel, so it's going to be based on the Peloponnesian Wars. So that'll add new scenarios for uh, Athens and Sparta. And probably also a new sandbox mode and a new diplomacy module. Is there any sort of multiplayer? It's actually all single player. And that's basically what allows you to pause the game, like I described earlier, um, and issue all of your orders in pause time. That's something which really wouldn't work very well in multiplayer. Yeah. But we also, you know, we've played a lot of games like Total War and multiplayer and haven't really enjoyed them as much as we wanted to. So being a small team, we really had to focus on doing one thing really well. And we really wanted to make a great single player campaign. All right. Have you looked at using the uh, the DEFCON method of multiplayer time? Timing. Yeah, where everybody picks the uh, highest speed that they want to go at. Yeah. If we did multiplayer, that's certainly something that I would consider very strongly. It's, I think it would work better if we changed the scale of the game, but uh, that's still very theoretical at this point. So I'm just curious, how many people on your teams have any sort of degrees in historic things? In, in history, um, perhaps, Andy? Yeah, yes, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> don't believe any of us do. The lead designer had been researching Philip for about 10 years uh, before we started the game. He's kind of a history buff, but very few of us have actually uh, gone to school for this sort of stuff. So huh. it was mostly just hitting the books. Hey, whatever works. Now, Rick, are you going to be uh, at PAX? Yep, I'll be at PAX with a couple of the other guys from the team. Cool. We're hoping to also be able to sell some box copies at our booth. So drop by. How much are you selling them for? We're thinking probably 20 bucks. So it'll actually be cheaper than it is on our website. And you'll get a box and manual with it. Not a bad deal. All right. All right, well, Rick. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I guess Dave will be uh, looking forward to seeing you 
you at PAX. Yep. Cool. See you there. And our next interview with the PAX 10, for those of us who remember last year, we uh, took a nice trip out to Denmark. Well, we're back again with Alan to talk about Planeweaver. Alan, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Now, what is Planeweaver? Planeweaver is a platform puzzle game. It's about a girl who has to save her brother from an evil, evil soul prison. It's a little on the heavy side. Yeah, it sounds a little dark. Uh, It was intended to be dark. That was where we came from when we came up with this idea. We wanted to make something that had a little bit of a steampunk feel to it. And so it had to be dark and a bit gritty as well. Now, being a platformer, what's the key there? What's her special ability? For the characters? Yes. You were playing this girl, Silke, and basically she has the ability to change her shape or enter this other plane of existence so to speak, where she becomes a big hulking brute. And as the so she has these three states, and in her first state, that's basically just Silga. She's able to run and jump, and she's very mobile. And then she has an intermediate state where she's uh, incorporeal, and she's floating. And then she has her other state, the beast, where she shoot rays out of her hands that will stop and clog all these machine parts that make up the level. Okay, now- now, where did this idea have, come from? Well, our director wanted something about corporal versus the incorporal and changing the shape of the player character. And that was one of the other basic things that we set out with at the start of this game. We wanted to create this feeling that you had to use something that was within your character to traverse the obstacles that we put into the level. Now, how many people did you have on the team? We were 10 people. Uh, worked for a month. Really? Only a month? Uh, we had sort of a month and a half, but the first half was talking online, and I think we had two or three meetings, just some of us, where we just mainly used that time for throwing around ideas and such. It was all the creation. Every part of the game has been created within that one month. That's and really impressive. Thank you. It was kind of hard work. We had some some 60-hour work weeks. I was very, very impressed with uh, a lot of guys in the team. They were incredible. Now, this was part of uh, more or less a school project, wasn't it? Yes. This is a this is a dad year project, which means that we're all of these ten students come from different schools around the country. Uh, we have uh, animators and modelers coming in from the animation workshop in Vibor. We have uh, visual artists uh, from the design school. We have programmers from all around the country. We have a director from from the film school and the game designer and uh, project manager was both from Oldborg University, and then we had uh, a sound guy from from. All so this is the and, uh, and the up and coming stars of the game programming world. <laughs> Some of these guys might be. I was so impressed. We had two programmers, only two programmers working on this, and everything is modeled by our one modeler. So uh, they were, from what I've seen, they, they were phenomenal. They put in the hours, and, and whenever they got something to do, they it was just done in incredible time. So what part were you on the team? I was the game designer and uh, sort of also the level designer. Um, it, it was... We, we were supposed to have a level, a dedicated level designer, but unfortunately there wasn't enough level designers to go around for all the Daddyo teams, so uh, we ended up with that one. So that was pretty exciting to have to uh, ride two horses at the same time. Now, I'm kind of just curious, like, what was your thought process of when creating a level? The first thoughts, I think, were something along the lines of, 
what kind of puzzle can we do with these elements that we have? And uh, then I set up some, we created some puzzles from that would fit into the universe. And then we sort of build a level around it within the constraints that it had to be very easy to do for the modelers and that it had to be able to be done within these, this, this time limit that we had. Uh, since we only had a month and everything was compressed and we had to really think, is this easy enough to do uh, so we can get on with the next step. Hmm. Uh, so, so, so that was uh, the second part of, of the process. And then we got it back from the modeler, of course, and we playtested everything. And then we made new changes from what we saw happen. Now, what type of software? I'm guessing that the school is providing you with all of the, the software that you're using? Yeah, most of it. We, of course, had some, some software that we brought along ourselves. But uh, what, what we really needed was provided uh, for us. What, what kind of software did that include? We had a full Adobe package. And we had the the Unity engine, of course, uh, that the game is uh, is made on. And I there there was a couple of of three programs. Uh, I don't remember if there was one or two, but I know we used both Maya and uh, 3D Studio Max during the production. Okay, Dave, do you have? Anything else? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, Alan, thank you very much for the interview. Are you going to be at PAX or? Unless the plane crashes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be there. And there are a couple of the other guys showing up as well. So we're looking very much forward to it. Well, hope to see you there then. Yeah. You just come by. Say hi. We don't bite. <laughs> and up next on our interview with the PAX 10, we have Dave from Wadjet Eye Games here to talk to us about PuzzleBots. Dave, what is PuzzleBots? PuzzleBots is uh, a game that has puzzles. It's um, You take control of five little robots. They're about like two to five inches high, and they are located inside this robotics factory. And each level is kind of the robots escape their little cage, and they explore the factory. So each level involves some puzzles they have to solve within the factory. And throughout the course of the game, they uncover a mystery behind the factory, and they interact with the human inventors. And It's very cute and funny. What? age group is this targeted towards? Um, sorry to say, it's, uh, I guess, all ages. Can, it's not really an adult game. Uh, it's kind of more of a kid's game, although there are, there's a lot of jokes and innuendo in there that uh, the kids won't get. That's for the adults. I remember the demo with uh, Dr. Hugo and Xander as the, the commercial in the very beginning. Yeah. The most photogenic scientist. Wait, what? <laughs> so what gave you the idea for this game? I wish I could take credit for it, actually. Um, there's a, a designer that I worked with on one of my earlier games. Her name is Erin Robinson. And she had a freeware game called Nanobots, which was about these little robots on uh, on top of a desk. And she showed me an early alpha build of it. And I thought it was just so cool. And that I thought it would do really well if it was a, a bigger game. And uh, I offered, I said, hey, you know, what if I paid you to do that for me? And she said, okay. And so she designed the whole game. Uh, all the characters, all the dialogue is hers. Most of the art is hers. She did all of the, well, actually all the human characters she did. All the design is hers. I did most of the programming for it and the voice acting uh, was all recorded uh, using my actors here. So it wasn't my idea. It was it was Aaron's idea. Now, in the demo, I was only able to play with uh, two of the bots 
What are the uh, other three bots like? Oh, well, there, the next robot you get is uh, Kelvin, who's a uh, flamethrowing robot, and he's kind of the, the crotchety, uh, kind of grumpy one. And the one after that is Eby. She's uh, a blue robot. She curls into a little ball uh, when she's on land, but when she's underwater, she uncurls, and she's kind of like a, a mermaid. She swims around, and she can tow objects uh, out of the water. And then the last robot you get is Bombshell. She's this kind of punkish pink robot with a mohawk and she's on roller skates and she can throw bombs at things and she can blow up tiny objects robots that can destroy oh yes yes that could never happen in real life. No, absolutely not. So is, is is there like a great villain in the game that ends up being Skynet? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Mm. I'm, get, I'm looking on your website and looking, this is not your uh, your first game. Right? Have you done other games like this or is this? What, what? Well, it's not. Uh, it's probably the lightest and the cutest game I've ever done. Uh, most of my my own internal games, internally meaning the ones that I, I fund and, and do myself, tend to be kind of on the gritty noir end of things. And uh, Puzzle Buzz just looks so cool. I just I thought it would be nice to try something different. So I've done lots of other games before, yeah. So now that you've tried Puzzle Bots, are you going to go back to your other game, uh, the, the older kind of noir style, or are you going to continue with the bright and colorful? Well, the bright and colorful, that was just the, the type of game it was. It, I mean, above all, it was, a, it was a cool game. But to answer your question, yes, I'm doing, right now I'm working on the next game in the Blackwell series. Nice. It, it looks looking good. Now, have, how long have you been doing games for? Professionally, like commercially, full-time, about four years now. And unofficially in your basement sort of stuff? <laughs> um, I was kind of doing uh, freeware games in my spare time since about 2001. And uh, there was one time I just was kind of between jobs and I was putting off getting another one. So I made a game and I enjoyed making it. So I made another one and uh, I started selling them. And I'm kind of still doing that four years later. Now, what, what, are you, uh, what are you programming all these games in? All of them are done in a system called Adventure Game Studio, um, AGS. And they're kind of geared to these old school point and click adventure games. They're made by a guy named Chris Jones. It's a free engine and it's been in development for like 10 years. So it's improved a lot over time and, I think 95% of my games, I think every single one except for Emerald City Confidential was made in AGS. So I'm very familiar with it and I love it. So I generally make everything I, I do in it. Now, are you, able, cool. are you able to port these at all? Or are these just going to be... Fortunately not. The one bad thing about Adventure Game Studio is that it's not very portable friendly. Uh, so you, they're really Windows only. Although they do run under Wine or uh, you know, Windows emulation software. People have told me it's worked fine. But right, but you're not about to send it to Xbox Live or something. No, no, I can't do that. Because there, there seems to be suddenly a resurgence of all these old classic point-and-click adventure games. Yeah, I know. The, um, I would love to get it on, like, phones or Xbox Live or what have you, but that would involve uh, just really reprogramming them all from scratch. And these games are kind of a um, kind of a niche thing to begin with. So right now I kind of, I know I can make money and kind of work full-time releasing these on the PC, investing time and money into other platforms. I don't know. It's risky. Uh, right now, I know I can kind of pay my mortgage by releasing it on the PC, but uh, putting it to other platforms would kind of take more money and, and time and effort, and I can really give it, unfortunately. But I'd love to port it. If uh, someone comes to me and offers, I would definitely take them up on it. Now, I, uh, how, how big was your team that you had working on this? On PuzzleBots? Yes. Okay, there was Aaron and me, so that's two. My wife helped with the programming. Um, we had a background artist. We had um, a guy who did all the animations for the robot. We had a composer. Um, we had 
all the voice actors. So I guess about seven or eight really core people. And then uh, maybe about like another half a dozen or so who did uh, smaller things. And where is this all based out of? Uh, New York City. Oh, just... Well, I'm based in New York. Erin, um, when she was making the game, is based was based in Canada. And uh, now she's in Chicago. And everyone else was kind of all over the place. The uh, the, uh, the background artist is in Brooklyn. The, the composer was some uh, is in England, I think. Um, everyone's kind of all over the place. But I guess the headquarters, the nerve center is right here in New York. So wait, you've got a lot, I'm guessing, a lot of telepresence going on. Welcome to the future, Andy. Yes. <laughs> A lot of MSN, a lot of email, a lot of Skyping, yeah. Do you use any sort of uh, shared repository for the code, or do you just email it around, or what? No, we have a, uh, an SVN, a, um, a subversion uh, network. We definitely use that, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dave, for uh, talking to us about PuzzleBots. Are you going to be uh, at PAX? I will not, uh, but Erin's going to be, and she's the designer of the whole game. So uh, if you're there, uh, definitely look her up by the booth. She'll you know, be happy to talk to you. Okay. Well, I will be sure to stop by then. All right. Well, Dave, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Anthony. And David. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no problem. And up next in our interview with the PAX 10, we have Brian here to talk to us about Retro City Rampage. Brian, try and explain Retro City Rampage to us. All right. Well, I coined the term action parody for Retro City Rampage. So it's an open world action parody. You could imagine Grand Theft Auto if it were in the late 80s, early 90s on the Nintendo NES. And the entire world, characters, missions, all that stuff, it plays off of the era's pop culture. So games, movies, TV shows, everything. So it's an 80s homage in 8-bit. Yep. Now, where did this idea come from? It's it's quite an evolution. I started out back in 02 coming up with the idea to do an 8-bit Grand Theft Auto on the actual NES hardware. And that eventually evolved from being a demake of GTA 3 to being an original game. And a lot of stuff stemmed from that. Some of it was accidental and just turned into greatness. The jumping on the heads part, that actually happened sort of by accident. And that really sparked turning the game into what it is today. Uh, I was just handling the collision code and what to do when a sprite was on top of another sprite. And then it just dawned on me that it should be like Mario and throw a 50-point score above the head and go from there now was this was this part of like a class project or nope i uh it's just something i was doing in my spare time uh most of these years as well during its development i was working in the industry and about a year ago i finally quit my job to work on it full time so how many years in the making uh, <laughs> seven or eight wow yeah Although the first few years were a different game, but it evolved. It, it inspired this game and shares some foundation. Okay. From the video, it, it's rather fast-paced. Is that how it's going to be, or is the video a little slow or what? There, that's all real, so there are the fast-paced sections. There's also slow stuff, so you can explore the city, walk around, and there's a lot to do, a lot to see. I made sure that the buildings, for example, are entertaining and bring life to the city, unlike a lot of the current games that it just, just looks like... There's Brown nothing to see there. Palette. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm looking through in the video. I was trying to count the different references, and my God, how you manage to—they're like every screen you crammed one in. Yep. at least one. Nolan's arcade. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm. I was really excited. I saw in a forum somewhere someone caught both of the references for that one. So uh, there's of course I, I'd Atari. I have to go back kind of screen by screen, but yeah. Wait, wait. Both the references? I can only. Yeah. So if you remember Wayne's World, there was also a thing called Noah's Arcade. 
Oh. Oh. <laughs> yep. oh, okay. Sure enough. So, Brian, what uh, platform is this supposed to be for? It's running on the Wii, and it will come to another console or two. It's, they're both in discussion right now. So, why'd you pick the Wii? Uh, it's a perfect fit. <laughs> you you sound so like upset at that. <laughs> well, I'm just curious. Of all the things in the world, why the Wii? I didn't mean it like that. I'm just I'm just curious why they chose the Wii. God, now, well, I'm, I'm, now I even feel bad about asking this question. No hard feelings. <laughs> um, it it will be multi-platform, but the Wii was it just had to be on the Wii. It's inspired by the original Nintendo, so mm. had to put it out on the new Nintendo. Are you uh, looking into making a PC port that you could distribute through like Steam or something like that? Right now, it's only slated for consoles, but uh, maybe if it makes uh, a lot of money. <laughs> then it'll come out to PC. Now, the music, 8-bit sort of stuff? Yeah, it's all authentic, and we've got three musicians contributing to it, and it's an immense soundtrack. Over two and a half hours, might even be more. And we've got Vert, who and most people you know have heard of. I was going to guess that, because the, the music from the video sounds very much like his. Yep, he whipped that up very nicely. In Jake Kaufman, come on our podcast! Oh, I'll see what I can do. It's like we know everybody who knows this guy. Yeah, <laughs> I've mailed him before, and it, it tends to get lost, I guess. Or he just He's a really busy guy. So I'm trying to go back. You said that this was sort of based off of an earlier rendition of this game. What what kind of changed between the two renditions? The original one was actually running on NES hardware. I built my own dev kit and all of that stuff. But uh, it was also, it wasn't a commercial thing. It was being done for fun and as an homage to GTA 3 for a number of reasons. I just decided that it would be better off to do an original game and as well by doing it on modern systems, even with the authentic- authenticity to be retro, uh, I'd be able to do a lot more because things like sprite flickering aren't really fun. <laughs> now, an homage to GTA 3, I'm looking at this and I'm actually seeing the original GTA in it as well. Did you, did you try and go back that direction too or did you just set aside GTA 3? Well, being top down, there's definitely inspiration from both games. I, I was a huge GTA fan before GTA 3, um, so there's definitely inspiration there. One thing that I wanted to make sure of was to Give it the Zelda perspective as opposed to flat top down because there isn't really any character if you're just seeing the top buildings. If if you do remember, there were G- Game Boy Color GTAs, which um, oh, that's they, dredging the memory banks. They looked nice. They kind of were a good point in reference as to how to do things better. So, where do you think you're going to go from here? Um, there are a lot of opportunities. Definitely, will be more retro stuff and. I'd love to do uh, additional stuff that's not quite retro. A lot of ideas, but the task at hand is, of course, finishing this game first. I'm, I'm just worried. I'm looking at the screenshot of the underwater thing, and it brings mm-hmm. back such terrible, terrible memories. Of I'll make sure it's fun. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. And, and trying to disarm the, like five or six bombs. I, that level was horrible, but in general, I'm not really a fan of any water level, so it's all <laughs> painful. Now, just one final thing. Um, how is it coding on the Wii? Is it, is it, are you just like programming on a PC and porting it over to the Wii, or how does that... 
I, I'm just Pretty curious. Much. Yeah, I've built my tech to be abstracted so it can run on everything. There's a little bit of work involved in porting it, but uh, now that it's been ported as much as it has been, it's very flexible. And there are certain optimizations you need to do for certain platforms, but the Wii was a pretty smooth port. I actually got it up and running in completely up and running in under two days. So you, you ported it to the Wii. Is that saying you ported it from the NES to the Wii? I do or have did you a have PC something else? You have a PC build. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Most games do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian. Well, Dave, unless you have any other questions. I do. Brian, will you be at PAX? I you will be. You stole in- my question. Ahaha. <laughs> You will be at PAX? Well, then I will look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, and there'll be lots of uh, stuff for people to grab, some really exciting things. They'll be able to get their very own cartridge labels, boxes, <laughs> Master System inserts, and uh, there's another another treat which the real hardcore gamers will catch that's just going to crap up. Oh, dear. So lots of stuff See, now I'm worried that I'm not going to notice it or, or realize it. Oh, uh, you should realize it. Uh, it's, right. it's a little extra Canadian, but they had them in America as well. Maple syrup? Uh, close, but not quite. Oh. All right, Brian. Well, thank you very much for taking some time out and talking to us about Retro City Rampage. Thanks very much. And here we are in our second to last interview with the PAX 10. We have John here to talk about Shibuya. 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 <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. What, so what? am I. I can say Shibuya. <laughs> yes, but you also took Japanese. You know, there's a, there's a fair chance I'm not actually saying it right myself. So, <laughs> but I, I, I believe cool. the quote-unquote proper pronunciation is Shibuya. Yeah. Okay, John, so what is Shibuya? Okay, so Shibuya is a, a we're calling it, we're, we're kind of classifying it as a puzzle action game. It's, it's sort of a really fast-paced uh, falling block style game where you, where you match up colors and, uh, and try to keep going as long as you can without them making it to the top of the screen. Well, that seems simple enough. What gave you the, uh, what gave you the idea? You know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a really simple concept, but it took us, took us quite a while to get to it. It was just sort of, I don't know, probably over a year ago thinking about, um, thinking about the iPhone and thinking about, you know, I was afraid it was going to be sort of like the Wii where you would get, where the iPhone had this sort of, this new interface. Um, but what you would get were a lot of games that were just ports and then, you know, sort of ported over and, and poorly used the new interface just because it was there. Um, and you see, you see that a bit with games that try to like have uh, you know button-based controls, and and some of them are great. But I really wanted to try and think about you know what was it that made the the iPhone an interesting platform, and and really try to focus on that with the design. So now, how is it uh, programming for the iPhone, and now no, it's, and now the iPad too? Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's not bad. I I uh, I don't like uh, Objective C very much, which is the, the language, but but you can basically do most of it in in C plus plus and. Apple really, they really do a good job of, of uh, with like all the documentation and everything. So it's, and sample files. And so it really is, you know, it's surprisingly easy to get up and running. Um, so that was great. Now, I'm just curious, why did you pick the name Shibuya? Okay, so Shibuya is, is a, a, they call it a ward. It's a section of Tokyo um, that's sort of like, you know, if you've seen movies like Lost in Translation or something and you see sort of like all the glowing buildings uh, and all the bright lights. Shibuya is one of the areas of Tokyo that that is is uh, 
really like that. And so it just sort of, we went through a lot of different names, um, but I really like that feeling. I was living in Tokyo at the time and, and it just, it just sort of captures the mood for me. Oh, so it's like that scene that you always see when everybody's in Tokyo, where it's those, all those people milling around that one. Yep. Yep. That's actually, <laughs> that's, that's Shibuya crossing. That's, that's, uh, sort of the central train station in Shibuya. Okay. Now the music I'm guessing plays, a, does it play a pretty much of a, a big role in the game or is it? You know, it, it, I wanted it to, to, <laughs> I wanted it to almost feel like a music-based game, but it actually doesn't affect gameplay other than just sort of setting the mood. But it, it kind of feels like that sort of a game. So where'd you, where did you get the music from? The music is, uh, is we, we licensed uh, an entire EP actually from Million Young. And I was just, you know, cruising around on, on iTunes just looking for, for something that could really capture the, the, the mood I was going for. And, and uh, luckily I happened across that and it was, you know, it was good enough that I just, that we just decided to just go with the whole EP from them. So there's five songs and they're all pretty great. Now, so oh, go ahead, how Dave. Long, how long did it take you guys to, to kind of compile the game, not literally, but to put the game together? <laughs> it took it took about, let's see, so it was actually, it was on the, the 25th anniversary of Tetris that I started, you know, sort of thinking about like like uh, making a puzzle game in particular. But so it was probably, it probably sort of cooked for, for six or seven months and then was sort of four months of, of, of hard work on it and it went through some pretty intense like pretty intense game design changes during that time so now how, and how now, out of curiosity how long does it actually take to quite literally compile it <laughs> you know we just added in uh one of the last things we added in was was open faint which is a a system for uh handling like all of the multiplayer and the leaderboards and after we added that it's a good it's a good uh 10 or 15 minutes sometimes how, how does the multiplayer work? Well, it's, there's not actually there isn't actually multiplayer. It's just competing for for high scores or for for different stats. Oh, okay. So I was thinking of like the the whole Tetris multiplayer, but yeah, no, it, it would be it would be sweet to add add multiplayer in the future. But right now, it's it's a it's a solo game. So how many different type of game types are there? There are two game modes. Um, endless and quick play. Uh, quick play is like a like a quick two pit, two minute version. Um, where you you see how high of a score you can get uh, in that time period, and then endless is sort of like Tetris. You know, it it, it gets faster over time, and you and you see how long you can last. Okay, is it has, get, it, has it been approved by the uh, App Store yet? Not yet. We're we've got our fingers crossed. It's submitted, and so we're we're hoping that uh, we're hoping it will be out in time for PAX, so that so that people can see it and give it a try. But but you just you, you don't actually know. So <laughs> we'll see. Now, did you? I'm guessing there's is there a little bit of different programming comparing the uh, the iPhone, iPod versus the iPad, or is it just um, there? There there is. I mean, the main thing that we would have to do. This is actually just an iPhone phone game um, right now, but I, I would love to, sometimes I play it on the iPad just uh, at the double resolution because it's, it's a natural fit for that. But the most, the main thing you have to do is really just uh, the separate, the separate graphics. Um, the, they're so similar internally that a lot of the coding is actually pretty much the same. Okay. Dave, do you have uh, any questions? Uh, well, there is the, the one that I tend to steal from you, which is, are you going to be at PAX? Yeah, we'll be there. The The team is, is three people. Uh, my brother is the president of the company and sort of the, the resident genius. 
and then it's me and, and Stephanie, and we'll all be there along with our friend uh, Dave, who was who was with us for a while and then then left to go back to school. So it'll be a nice reunion because actually we all we've all been living in you know far flung different places. Tom's in New York and Stephanie's in Seattle, and I've been in Tokyo. So it'll be nice to actually be in the same room again. So wait, so you had the entire team working on this in different parts of the world? Yeah, yeah. How how did that work out? It works out pretty well, and and with this this was this was sort of like like Tom programmed the game engine and then this was sort of my project with the actual making the game itself and so I did I did most of the work so we didn't have to do a lot of sending code back and forth but uh, it works out pretty well and I'm such a I'm such a night person that <laughs> the the times work out fairly well so I'll be on Skype at the same time as they are even though it's it's the middle of the night in in Tokyo okay now just curious because I'm looking at I've, I went to your uh, the never center website and it seems you guys started out just working on just regular software first and decided to just do a game later <laughs> yeah it's a it's a pretty pretty eclectic mix and so the companies the company started uh, it, was, it was Tom and I and we made um, we made a 3D modeling program called Silo and that's that's been sort of our main thing is 3D graphics uh, for for many years and then when the iPhone came out we made a photo app called Camera Bag um, which which did pretty well and then and then now we're just finally I've always sort of thought of myself as a game designer but now we're just sort of finally getting to actually making games we kind of started with the hardest possible thing and worked down to easier stuff. So it's like you, you started out making Maya and then you went back to yeah. make Tetris. Hey, yeah, what, whatever. What, whatever works. Whatever works. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, John. Sure. And I guess Dave will. Uh... I'll see you at PAX. Thanks a lot, guys. And here we are with the final interview of the PAX 10. We are speaking with Dan about Solace. So Dan, Hi. what is Solace? Uh, Solace is basically a, an interactive experience that we're calling a game. Uh, it's basically uh, a little uh, software project that we had to do. Um, it's, a, of course, like I just said, inter- uh, interactive experience uh, where the player plays through the five stages of grief um, with like slight bullet hell overtones. Wait, what is... I'm sorry. What's, what's <laughs> bullet hell? Sorry, I'm not into... Andy, what? what? Oh, no? You don't know what bullet hell is? No. Your kid mate. You never played 1942? Oh, so we're All talking right. like 1942. It's, um, it's a shmup with lots of attacks. Exactly. There's, there's so bullets. They call it bullet hell. It's, it's outrageous. So it's like, um, God, I'm trying to think, the, the one with the spaceship. Yes. Galaga. Yes. No. no? <laughs> it's like Galaga, except each enemy, instead of shooting one, shoots like 30. Exactly. Oh, so it's a lot more fast-paced then. Yeah, it's, it's a lot scarier. Um, but prettier, I mean, there's there's bullets everywhere. And the it bullets ha- can make these intricate patterns, and they interact. It's gorgeous, but they are very, very, very notoriously difficult. Exactly, and that was actually one of the things that we were shooting for in our game, because uh, it's kind of a niche market out there, because people just die relentlessly in this game, or these games. So we really pushed for a, a way to make Hell game a little bit more uh, cute and fuzzy so that people didn't really get afraid of playing it. So uh, what is the uh, dynamic audio part of this game? You see, I, I can do audio. Sure, nice. uh, so the dynamic audio part comes in where we figured it's a bullet hell, so like we explained, there's a ton of bullets. So how cool would it be if every single like bullet that was shot played a, a different music note? So we basically built a system underneath that every single time any bullet is shot from either a player or an enemy, it dynamically builds up the soundtrack. So uh, the player, at least in the first level, is like a piano, so as you hold down the fire button, 
you feel like this cool piano melody come in and uh, as enemies are firing at you like stringed bass lines and violin parts will come in and actually just build the soundtrack as you're playing it so to really experience the full soundtrack you have to survive uh yeah but like i said like we've done tons of playtesting to determine what the average player can expect to uh to listen to you so and when we sat down we really wanted to make sure that we're creating a game that like even our grandmothers could play that's a noble goal you know here grandma i want you to play this game it's called it's a bullet hell game about the five stages of grief yes <laughs> enjoy <laughs> What? I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. What are the five stages of grief? Uh, so it starts out in uh, denial or isolation. Um, we kind of toyed back and forth with the words. Um, so we start with denial. Then we go into anger, uh, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Ah, okay. And how are these represented in the level? So we kind of just let our, our imaginations run wild there. So um, our artists definitely wanted to take uh, each different kind of representation through the art and the color palette. So obviously denial, we're using like some deep blues and some dark colors, um, whereas the music is kind of like a solemn, like solo piano, essentially. Um, whereas in ink, we wanted to do a complete and total 180. So we're using like bright reds and oranges and things that you think of like anger, right? And of course, we have to bring in an electric guitar and everything else that just screams. So we kind of took our own uh, our own interpretations of what those, those different stages meant to us and tried to represent them through the, the entire medium, I guess. Okay. How many people did you have uh, working on? Four, Andy. Yep. Four. <laughs> Way you. to do your research. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. We had uh, we had four people, uh, three programmers, and then one artist. I'm just doing it in case you know people aren't clicking on the team on the website right now, <laughs> like I just did. I'll, I'll get over it. It's going to say that our website got another hit, though, so thanks a lot, man. Yeah, hey, whatever. Um, yeah, this is this looks gorgeous. Um, it's very reminiscent of uh, 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 Auditorium. Oh, Auditorium? You, that was actually a huge yeah. Did you play that? Well. We did, yeah. Um, when our team was actually getting together, that was one of the uh, the common grounds that we had. Like, have you played Auditorium? Yes, it was amazing. Fantastic. So it's Let's like, do something like that. But with bullets yeah, and yeah. guns. And... Well, uh, when we got together, we were like, let's make a some kind of music game. And we were tossing out ideas, and like we threw out some random ideas about like bears with, with rockets on their legs and <laughs> shooting like lasers out of their mouths. And that just didn't quite have the appeal that we wanted. So we branched out, tried a different, couple different things. And uh, after, I want to say, the game that we actually put out now, Salus, it's about its third or fourth iteration of game design. So like we didn't just sit down and go, hey, we're going to make this cool bullet hell game that plays music when you fire bullets. No, ours was drastically different from the very start. So, did you have to license music, or is all the soundtrack... Oh, everything's original. It's um, what's up? basically dynamically created by the game itself. Yeah, so, uh, and the entire soundtrack, like I said, uh, it, the game creates it itself. We basically wrote an algorithm and all of that stuff to play music whenever you're playing, or, you know, well, whenever you're firing. Uh, and luckily, uh, myself and Jordan Hemingway, another uh, guy on our team, uh, we both have um, a background in music, so, I mean, coming up with the, the different licks and all of that stuff, it just kind of, it was natural and definitely played to our strength. So how long did this uh, take to work on from start to finish? Uh, this project, we started last September, and we had to turn in the final project uh, in April for our school. Um, I'm not sure if I actually made that clear. Uh, we all got a DigiPen, Institute of Technology in Redmond, Washington, and sophomore year they basically tell you, hey, you have to make a make a game. It just has to be 2D. Go. So uh, we got the assignment in September. It's an entire year project, so we uh, turned in our final, our final build in uh, August. And of course, we wanted to enter it in PAX and IGF and all those crazy competitions. So we've been working on it pretty much nonstop since last September. What did uh, you use to uh, program it in? Uh, C++. <laughs> and that's about it. 
Um, they don't let us use any pre-made engines like Unreal or anything like that. Um, all the things and all the tools that we have to use are created from scratch, from the ground up. So they basically, you know, give us a, a blank notepad file and say, go, and we take Ouch. care of it. Well, it's, it's not notepad. I mean, you know, Visual yeah. Studio, we do what well, we can. Well, right, but, but. <laughs> besides, it's still, uh, although I guess the idea is, like, this is what you've been going to the school for. Show us what you've learned. Oh, exactly. Like, And we have to build our own graphics engine. And they allow us to use uh, APIs like DirectX. So it's not like we have to completely program all the graphics nonstop, but uh, we're still creating our own graphics engine using DirectX. Create an operating system to run the game. (laughs) Exactly. So good luck. Learn some assembly, and you're good. Yeah. Zero one you zero want it zero, in machine one, code. zero zero one one. Okay, they teach us that freshman year, but you know it's it's looks kind of crazy. But, so uh, huh? how? Sorry, I just had a brain fart there. That's totally cool. It's okay. How? Um. Oh, I. I, I uh, yeah, get in the game. I'm curious. What's that? How far? Can, I'm, you've played your own game, yes? Oh, uh, once or twice. Yeah. How far do you get? Like, how long have you been able to go for? Well, we actually found out. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm a seasoned bullet hell player now. Of course, I and mean, after working on this for about a year. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really not too bad. Uh, I mean, most people who've never touched a bullet hell game can get through it in at least 15 minutes. So, I mean, to play through the entire game, it's only five levels, hence five stages of grief, kind of easy. Uh, it's, it's really not too bad for just about anybody who, who's played it. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a plus. Um, another big thing that we've, uh, we've been looking at is, and of course, for those hardcore bullet hell players who want that hardcore experience, right now we're experimenting with diff- different difficulty levels. So, like, uh, for the people who, who don't want to die at all, we'll give them a super easy mode so they can play through the game and enjoy the music and enjoy the scenery and not have to worry about you know death at every corner um but then for the the super seasoned like crazy toho players we have it so like if they get hit by one bullet it's game over and they have to start over again so oh, we're God. trying to get markets <laughs> well the game looks fantastic it looks very polished uh, I, i'm looking forward to giving it a shot oh yeah definitely and please do um like i said I and mean, we worked on it for that straight year of course this is during our our actual school year as well though so that's the product of us working on a game with 22 other credit hours of coursework so we did what we could. All right, Dan. Well, thank you very much for uh, talking with us about Solace. And talking. Dave will see you at PAX. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to it. Cool. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later, man. And so that was an interview with eight of the PAX 10. Hope you guys enjoyed them. Their links are all listed on the episode page, rapodcast.net. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Dave, have fun at PAX. You bet. Sorry you can't come. <laughs>